0: This form of baseball talk and sharing philosophies and beliefs is for you, the player, the family member, the youth in high school and college coach, a forum for all of us to grow as people, as coaches, as mentors. Tonight, we welcome head coach at Sacramento State University, Reggie Christensen. Reggie, known him for years as a quiet, strong leader, winning coach, Has led the Hornets team to nine straight 30-plus win seasons, nine postseason appearances, three tournament titles, and Reggie has been a two-time WAC coach of the year in 2012 and 2014. His Hornets, a three-time WAC champion 2014, 2017, 2019. He has had two 40-win seasons in 2014 and 2019. He has been honored as the 2012 and 2014 MLB Northern California Scouts Division I Coach of the Year. He's led the Hornets to their first NCAA regional appearance in 2014, only Division I program in California with 30-plus wins in each of his last nine seasons. He has 275 total wins since 2012, which ranks him sixth amongst California Division I programs. He's had 23 players selected in the MLB draft since taking over as head coach in 2011—an unbelievable stretch of success and leadership at a state Division One school. He's had an unbelievable resume. Please welcome Hornets head coach Reggie Christensen.
1: Butch, thanks for having me.
0: Reg, really appreciate you being here. Want to get right into your—you know—your background in coaching, where you started some people that may have influenced you as a coach and just, you know, a little bit about Reggie.
1: Yeah. So I grew up in Humboldt County, small little lumber mill town, Scotia, California, and moved to Ferndale. When I went to, when I went to high school, we moved to Ferndale and I was there for four years. Unbelievable experience growing up in Humboldt County, Um, had an opportunity, you know, to play multiple sports in those small towns. And then went off to, to, Kings River Community College and played for Jack Hacker for a year when my parents made the move to Central Valley. Went back and played at College of the Redwoods for a year and uh, then ended up at Menlo College. So I'm a product of uh, junior college and Division three baseball, which I'm really proud to, to say. I think it's certainly impacted where I'm at today. I had an opportunity right after I graduated at Menlo to, to stick around and coach with Blair Nagel and then I went back home to Humboldt County. And uh, coached high school baseball at my alma mater, Ferndale High School, for a year and had a tremendous opportunity to go back to Menlo College for a year. Or it ended up just being one year, but became a head coach at a really early age. Um, and in that time at Menlo, I had a really, really cool opportunity to work baseball camps at Stanford. So became good friends with Tom Kunis, Dave Nakama, Dean Stotts and those guys. And uh, after the year at Menlo, I, I was able to convince Rich Price, who's the head coach at the University of Kansas, to be his volunteer coach when he took the job. He was at Cal Poly at the time. So it was just kind of one of those connections. Rich Price had actually been the head coach at, at Menlo College when it was a junior college. So this is, the, you know, the world we live in is about, about who you know. So I had an opportunity to go back and work for Coach Price for two years as the volunteer assistant. My wife and I had just, just been married in 2001, and we headed back there put myself through grad school. And our, our oldest son, Ryan, was born when we were in Lawrence. And at that point, it was time to start looking for a, for a paid position. And uh, South Dakota State, I was looking for a head coach. I didn't really know anything about uh, South Dakota State. But it, would, it ended up being you know one of those situations that I'm, you know we look back on and Really, really thankful for the time, the four years that we were in Brookings, South Dakota, met a lot of awesome people, uh, still connected with a lot of the players that played there, and uh, so there for four years, and then Coach Smith, John Smith, who was the head coach of Sac State, who I met through Rich Price, um, I called at the end of my fourth year there and offered me a chance to come back and be his assistant coach and uh, came back here kind of looking to get back to California our, our middle child Reese had been born in Brookings and obviously you know the weather in, in, in South Dakota isn't really conducive to baseball. so I was away from, from my wife and, and the two young boys a lot being on the road playing games and then recruiting the summer and uh, the opportunity to come back to California meant was was really uh, something our family couldn't pass up so had that opportunity to do that. It worked out that Coach Smith and the athletic director at the time, Terry Wong, believed in me and gave me an opportunity to become the head coach and uh, that's really my journey. I had so many people along the way that it really, really impacted me in terms of where we're at today and uh, really excited to be on here with you tonight, but I've listened in the last few weeks and you've had some some really good speakers. Thank you.
0: I think you're gonna I think you're just as great a coach as all the people we've had on here and can you, you know, with the, the amount of young people this show is targeted for and families, you know, the going through the youth baseball experience, you've had children too, and you have a son that's going through it. What, what do you look at in the youth baseball experience now for these kids and what they should be doing in order to try to get to that next level?
1: It's a great question. You yeah, have two sons that are, you know, 16 and 18 uh, that have played – you know, the travel circuit, high school baseball. You know, I just think the number one is just to make the emphasis to to be excited with where they're at right now. I think there's, you know, and it's us as adults, it's really not the kids' fault. We just place too much importance on, you know, getting looked at or getting the scholarship or going to this event or that event. You know, something. sometimes I just think it's lost in terms of these kids just being excited about playing with their with their teammates and their friends and, and knowing that those things will will take care of themselves, hopefully at some point, we as an industry, meaning college baseball, does the right thing and really changes what the recruiting calendar looks like. Because until that changes, obviously, you know, the, the families aren't going to change in terms of what their perspective is, which I understand. I get it. But yeah, just enjoy where you're at. You know, I think that you also have to be willing to say no sometimes. You know, I think that we as parents, you know, we, we're trying to, to look out for our kids and And give them um, great opportunities to go out there and seek those things. But sometimes I think it's best to pull back and not necessarily play 12 months out of the year, have have some balance as well. You know, I know there's, you know, everybody talks about playing multiple sports. And I understand that that's, that'd be awesome if if they all could, but, you know, it's not really realistic either you know some there's really good athletes especially here in sacramento that do play three different sports and it's a challenge for some of these kids to make a team you know to make a basketball team i'd love it if my two sons could make the basketball team at the high school that they attend but they're just not good enough so their route's a little bit different but yeah just enjoy where you're at slow it down a little bit and just understand The things, things, every kid's journey is a little bit different. I remember when my oldest son was nine or 10 and there's, you know, kids in the league or kids he played with uh, that are monsters, right? Be okay with your, your kid not being the best player at nine. You know, I used to tell families, you know, I want, I want my sons to be good when they're 19 and 20, not necessarily nine or 10. So that's my take on that.
0: Thank you. Let me, let me go to these, you know, you're seeing more and more. I know we are in California, And, you know, it's a a social media world. There's a lot of kids now in teams that are starting at six years old to 12 years old that are they're calling themselves showcase teams, you know, tournament teams. What is an age that you think if you could break it down into the first, you know, 12 years of a kid's life, a baseball life, what would what would you recommend to a family and to parents with their, you know. Six to twelve year old.
1: Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I think my, I think both my boys probably started when they're, you know, they played Cal Ripken, which is, you know, obviously the equipment of of uh, little league baseball is what they grew up playing. Then in the summertime and the fall, they would play on some travel teams, and I think we just did it because everybody else was doing it. I, I don't know if it really impacted whether it made them better or not, but I would say, you know, right in that eleven and twelve year old age, age would be. Uh, my recommendation, that doesn't mean they can't play baseball, um, but I'm not sure, you know, if, you know, it's January right now, does it really, you know, does a six to eight year old need to be going and playing tournaments in January? I know they are, but I don't know if that's necessarily, their bodies are going to change so much, but as you know, like from six to 16, they're going to throw differently. And I think there's just more coaching going on at a younger level. And I'm not sure if that's necessarily health uh, healthy, because their bodies are going to change. And, uh, you know, sometimes these kids just need to be kids and, and do some different things. But, you know, obviously there's families out there that are excited. Their kids love to play the game, right? Um, and they want, they want to give them an opportunity to do so. So I really think it comes down to each family. But I would say, look, if I had to do it over again, you know, probably in that 10, 11, 12-year-old range is, 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 the, is the right time for them to, to, to start playing a little bit more than just the recreation league.
0: kind of go off here on a little different tangent for a minute because people are are texting me wanting to ask questions and here's one of the questions that I'm being asked and then we'll get back to where I, I was trying to go to with you. Can you talk about the 11.7 that you're available to participate in with scholarships? And can you explain to our families that are on here, the recruiting, you know, what, what, what it all means, what the 11.7 means, what you can do for kids, how many kids you can have on your roster. I know that that stuff's all kind of changing and it's putting you kind of in a pickle. But can you just talk about the whole
1: 11.7? Yeah, so, you know, each each school, the NCAA rule for Division One baseball is 11.7 scholarships, meaning, you know, I think a scholarship at Sac State if you're like an in-state resident there's a there's a number if you're a wui which means a western undergraduate exchange like washington oregon arizona hawaii there's a number and then if you're out of state or they call it non-resident there's a number attached to it and so you know let's say we give a kid ten thousand dollars in the in the in the twenty thousand is the cost of a scholarship based on where he's from so he's on like point five right so as you go you can see how those things those sorts of things add up and Traditionally, you can only use 27 guys to make that 11.7. Now, we've had some changes with COVID, and, and it's up to 32 right now. And there's, there's some ways where you can go less than 25% or less than a 0.25. But I'll just talk more prior to. So 11.7, 27 guys is what you're allowed to spend that 11.7 on. And then obviously, you have a roster of 35. That's traditional. That's what it will get back to. Uh, so that's eight guys on your roster that are non-scholarship players. We've been fortunate to have some really, really good kids that have come on non scholarship. And then obviously we reward them down the road. But yeah, it's a challenge. It is a, it's, it's the, one of the parts of my, one of the few parts of my job that, that I don't really like dealing with because you're always, you know, having to do different things. Like, let me give you an example. You know, we have some scholarship money free up, let's say Uh, you're going to give this kid a little bit more and and, and he'll be on a little bit less next year. So you have some room if you don't lose a guy to the draft you can have some money left for him, or you do lose a guy to the draft, you can go out and and get a guy to help replace him. So that's the business part of it. I think a lot of parents don't quite understand and rightfully so, but it is, it is a a juggling act to make sure you stay at the 11.7 then obviously you know we've been fortunate to lose kids to the draft which which is awesome but even some of the bigger schools you know the Arkansas and the lsu's and schools like that you know they're they're probably going into a draft situation having having already spent you know let's say 13 and a half scholarships having to get down to that 11.7 based on who's drafted and who who comes back so i think a lot of times that's when you're going to hear in the summertime kit programs or walking away from kids, telling them they don't have room because eleven point seven is really, really hard to manage in some of those situations because the draft now is later. And I'm not saying it's right to to over recruit or, or spend more than you have, you know, because those are bad conversations to have. But the NCA, in my opinion, has I shouldn't say the NCA, whoever the governing body is that decided that we could only get eleven point seven is really doing a disservice to these kids, these families and the game of college baseball. And can you go further on that one please <laughs> well oh, i just i just think like that part yeah why 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 is it 11.7 why isn't it more you know why do we only have two paid assistant coaches and not three college baseball is really popular right now really popular and hopefully as it becomes more popular and hopefully some of those things change hopefully you know i know that there's some programs out there trying to get some some of those things to change at the NCA level. Uh, You know, for instance, I've heard like, you know, you get 25, you know, books, tuition and fees, scholarships that you can hand out. So everybody's, you know, kind of dealing with the same, same numbers. But again, you know, that's way above my pay grade. And I know there's some really smart people out there that are, that are trying to make some changes
0: to better the game. Awesome. Thank you for, uh, you know, finishing that. I want to ask you, we, we, we tend to get a lot of young coaches on these calls also. What would be your advice to young coaches, you know, that are, that are ambitious, that are, you know, want to be, you know, move to an assistant at a D1 school? What would you be your advice to, to young coaches trying to get into your business?
1: I'd be willing to go outside of California to do it. I mean, there's a lot of jobs out there. A lot of, you know, I've had some guys work for me before, young guys that got done playing for me that really wanted to get into coaching. And uh, I told them, hey, there's opportunities to go be graduate assistants in the Midwest or other parts of the country. And, you know, you get the, well, you know, I really don't want to leave California. You know what? Sometimes you're going to have to bet on yourself and be willing to go to a part of the country you've never experienced and uh, take those take those uh, chances, if you will, go work for somebody that's been doing it a long, long time. You know, that would be, you know, something I would, I would highly recommend. I mean, being around someone that has wisdom and knowledge and experience is something that that I think is truly valuable, but also make sure you're going to go work for somebody that, you, you know, you can, you can trust, right. You're, you're going to make those calls and, and make sure you're getting into a situation where you're not going to compromise who you are as a person as well. Reggie,
0: you're at a state school in Sacramento, you know, a good baseball school, but nobody would consider it before you got to Sacramento State as a place that would be a a great landing spot. Now, you know, you can recruit players on a national forum if you want to. What, What do you think would be important for the kids around the country to know about you, Reggie Christensen?
1: Oh, that's a great question. That wasn't in the, the in the script that you sent me. No, you know what? I think, uh, look, we, we've, we've had a lot of success because we've had really, really good assistant coaches as we do right now. We've had really, really good players and we've had really, really good family support. I think those are the three things that that have allowed us to be successful. Now, on top of that, As we've had success, the administration, our athletic director, Mark Orr, our president, the folks on campus are spending money in terms of giving us the resources that we need to be successful. You know, I read a Tom Osborne book a long, long time ago, um, the the old coach at, at Nebraska and talked about why he stayed there so long. And it really came down to, you know, if you're in a place that you feel like people are going to support and make it better. And sometimes, as coaches, you know it's not fast enough, right? But if you're in a position where you think people are, that you're around are going to help the experience for your student athletes continue to get better, there's really no reason to leave. And I really feel like we're in a unique situation right now with the administration level, the players, the families that are in our program, and those that have been in our program are just so incredibly supportive. And uh, I think you know we've had I've had quite a few former players come work for me. And I think that that's a good sign. Um, so we're trying to do everything we can to provide these guys a quality experience. Shoot. We're not perfect. You know, I've certainly made mistakes, but we're trying to, to, to be vulnerable with our players and, and admit to those faults when we do make them and, and just help them at the end of the day, you know, in 20 years, be successful husbands, fathers, and people in the community.
0: Coach, can you talk about your uh, expectation level of your players? And what, once they get to your school, so kids, you know, I think kids go to school without really understanding what's the, you know, expectation level. Once they get there, they've, they've done enough at their high school to to get them by and they're still the best guy, but what's the expectation level when players get to you? What, what, what is your, what do you expect of them?
1: You know, on the baseball side, you know, to be, somebody that's open-minded and and obviously the work ethic, you know, that's why we recruited them, but, but, you know, have a growth mindset in terms of their development as a baseball player and to take ownership of that, right. We're here as coaches to help them develop and give them the tools and resources to do so, but they really need to take ownership of it. You know, that's on the baseball side. And obviously on the academic side, you know, we're recruiting, For the most part, kids that have over 3.25. I know we're a state school and we get that state school stigma. The best players we've ever had are also the ones that excel in the classroom. And I think that's not a coincidence. So trying to recruit really, really good student athletes, but then also holding them accountable to that when they get here. Very rarely does a guy that's a 2.5 last very long here. For some reason they tend to eliminate themselves. So I'm not here to, I'm not a babysitter when it comes to the academic piece. We have a tremendous resource staff that helps our guys that need help. We have, you know, the free tutoring, but they know when they get here that that's, that's a part that's going to be important. If I can't trust you in the classroom, it's certainly going to be hard for me to trust you on the field in the ninth inning game on the line to make a pitch. Then obviously you know, the off the field to be a good citizen. You know, to make good choices, to to take ownership of the choices when you make bad ones, and uh, those are the three components as to in, in terms of what I expect. I and mean, again, we're not perfect. I don't think anybody is, but we certainly have high standards that we hope to, to continue to achieve in that in those three areas.
0: Great. That's. I mean, I can totally see that of you. You're stand up guy. Let's go to a little bit of of recruiting stuff. Obviously, you've had a lot of, of success winning over 30 games every year. You, is there a certain – when you're out watching a player skill-wise, what are some of the things so our people know? Does analytics become part of your your scouting and what you're looking for? When you go to a game – what, what, are the, what are the things that you're looking for in a player? Are you watching families? Are you watching how parents react? What are, what are the things that you look for when you're out scouting a game, Reg?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think you're certainly looking for athleticism, number one. Do they play hard? Trying to find out, you know, quickly, how, do they love baseball, right? Do they, are they enamored by the game? Are they in love with what it takes to be a good player? You know, when you, when you call a kid – or you're texting a kid that, that you can text per the NCAA rules, I like to ask a lot of questions. Who's your favorite player? Who do you like to watch, watching play? You know, and quite honestly, you get turned off when, when you know, it's the postseason baseball and, and you're communicating with a kid and he's not even watching the games. I just want players that just, they, they breathe it, they eat it, they sleep it, that just absolutely love baseball. So then obviously, you know, to your next question, just in regarding to the parent piece. Yeah. I think the parent piece is really, really important. And, you know, I think that that's something obviously the last couple of years with COVID not being able to have some interactions with some of the parents on campus, like we would hope has been a little bit more difficult, but you need to get a sense if does that family's belief system fit the belief system of our program? I think that's critical. And I don't mean, you know, I don't mean belief system from a political standpoint or anything like that, but like, Are you going to support the coaching staff? Are you going to support the decisions we make? And that doesn't mean you're going to like the fact if your son's not playing. Uh, But are you really going to help us help your son become the young man you want him to be when he walks off our campus? So it's it's really important to us. Yeah, do we go to games? And, you know, I want the parents to be parents when they're at their son's game. You know, support their parents. I don't want the parents to be umpires. You know, it certainly is a turnoff when we – we heard that you know. I think Steve Holm made this comment with you a couple of weeks ago when you, you're sitting with a, a parent and a player, and they say, "We," you know, it's not we. This is your son's, your son's opportunity. I certainly understand you're integral part of it, but you're there to be a support piece for them. And uh, obviously, you know, there's I've been here a long time, and I have some great relationships with with parents of players that I've that I've coached, and I you know I I welcome that. You know, I I, I like the fact that I can have a conversation with a parent. They may not like what I have to say in terms of, you know, why their son is not uh, contributing the way they want him to. But I think that when you can have those direct conversations with parents, I think it helps.
0: So you, 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 are you open to families? Like when, once you have a kid and he is part of your program, do you think it is important to have that relationship with the, the boy's family Or do you think it's, it's, you have to like pick your spots?
1: Well, I'm open. Yeah. I'm open with it. Because look, at the end of the day, you know, I want, you know, we don't have to agree on everything. Right. But I know after a game's over, right. They're going to go to dinner with their parents. And I I know some of what those conversations are going to be like if I don't have a great relationship with that family. So, you know, yeah, I, I do welcome it. I want them to know, And I'm not talking about, you know, who's playing or who's not playing. I'm not talking about those things. But if I know that this mom and dad are fully supportive of our coaching staff and what we're doing to help their son become a better baseball player, I know that the culture in my clubhouse is going to be really, really strong. The times that we've struggled with our culture, it's I know that the the interference or the the things that are being said outside of our clubhouse from parents or girlfriends or whatever takes that kid or that group of kids further away from what we're trying to accomplish as a baseball team. And really with that, with that group. So absolutely. I have a pulse on that. I, 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 that's something that's important to me. I want our families to be so excited about all 35 players that are wearing that uniform and not just their son and the years. I think we've been really, really good. I think we've had that. And, you know, hopefully we can continue to do that.
0: Reg, when you look at players and you say, hey, this guy's got a chance to be a leader of my team, what, what are leadership qualities for you with, with players in your program?
1: You know, I think kids are willing to take ownership of what's going on around them, not just what's going on with them. I think kids that are willing to, you know, to have a one-on-one conversation with, with their teammate when things aren't going great, you know, how, how they act, you know, obviously, you know, be humble when you are. Playing really, really well, but obviously handling things when when failure sets in as a baseball player. And you know, one thing we talk about here is, you know, set the example and be the example. And uh, I think we've, you know, by and large, we've had a really, really good stretch of that, and uh, that's certainly something we're proud of. But I think you know, you have 35 players on your roster. I think you can have 35 players that are leaders. It doesn't, you know, you don't just have one. I think they can all lead individually in different ways.
0: When you're when you're let's let's talk about how you how you put together a team. When you're out and you're looking at your team, do you want to build through a hitting lineup? Are you trying to get the best pitching you can? Are you looking? Are you into the analytics world? How how do you? I mean, if you're if somebody were to say, what is a Reggie Christensen type team? What would how would you what would you say would be your you know, what a Reggie Christensen team. What's important yeah.
1: to you? Yeah, no, I think you're trying to to build the team in the recruiting process, you know, based on need. You know, I, I don't think we're, you know, just trying to collect talent and, and hope that it fits. So, yeah, I mean, there's going to be years, you know, do we need a catcher in this class? Do we need a certain uh, position? Do we need left-handed bats? Obviously, trying to recruit as many shortstops you know, historically as we possibly can. You know, I think some of our better teams have been guys, you know, I think our 2014 team, most every player on that team at some point was a shortstop prior to getting to us. So I think that, you know, we're obviously trying to recruit that position, but yeah, just trying to put together a team and it goes more into the, than just the, you know, the, the skills or the tools, if you will, making sure it's the right fit. And then on the pitching side, trying to recruit starting pitchers first and foremost, you know, I think that. You know, there's a lot of relievers out there, right? We're trying to recruit as many starters as we can and then obviously piece it together from there. Yeah, I think that, again, on the putting together a team, it's it's so many things in play based on what you're losing, projecting what you have on your roster, what those guys are going to look like uh, in a year. From the analytical side, you know, I think you're starting to see more and more of that on the pitching seat, on the pitching piece, trying to you know watch a video and, and then get the rap Soda report to see how that plays but i don't think that necessarily you know is is the case on the hitting side I'm not as concerned about exit velocities or anything like that you know off a tee or off flips you know for that you want to go see those guys play can they score up a baseball in a game But, yeah you know I, I don't know if that necessarily answered exactly what you're looking for but it, it, your, your eyes tell you if the guy's going to be uh, the right fit and you're trying to project what he's going to look like three or four years from now. No,
0: that's, I, that was a great answer. Now you said something in, in that conversation about shortstops. Yep. Now every kid in America thinks he's a shortstop. Every parent thinks their kid's a shortstop. When you talk about a shortstop that you're looking at, what are the tools and the demeanor, game awareness what are the things you're looking for in the shortstop that you're going to recruit
1: yeah you know we had i think the the best shortstop we ever had here was a kid named scotty Bertram, kid from palm desert high school played uh shortstop in the olympics for team israel he's been in triple a with the rockies he was if i could go recruit a shortstop it would be scotty Bertram. he was a quiet leader on the field he made every routine routine play he knew, he knew where the ball was supposed to go at all times. He just had a great clock. just had a tremendous feel and knack for the game of baseball. Was uh, Baseball IQ was off the charts high, like off the charts high. His dad played college baseball, played some pro baseball, was a high school baseball coach. So those are the kind of shortstops we're looking for. Guys, you know, we're not necessarily going to the event to see who has the best tools. Now, Obviously, tools play in the end at some position, right? But – for a shortstop, he's got to be steady. He's got to be some. He's got to be the guy that you know is going to make the routine play. Then, obviously, you know, recruit three or four of those over a two-year cycle, and you know, somebody's going to move to second. If you have a great athlete, he might move to center. One might move to third base. So that's how we've gone about the infield part. Shoot, we had um, a kid named Vinny Esposito who was uh, shortstop coming out of high school who we played at first base and was. You know, probably the best defender we ever had at first base and won us a lot of games. So you can't have enough shortstops on your roster. A shortstop center field, obviously, need to be really, really good behind the plate as well. Those three spots you talk about, you know, trying to build up the middle of championship teams, that's what we've tried to do.
0: Reg, you know, on these calls, coaches, it always comes back to what is a good teammate. And we talk about it a lot because, you know, so many youth coaches, its it's so important to them that uh, a kid learns what a good teammate is what is a good teammate for you
1: that's a good one I think the, the teammate piece you know I think Steve had a good comment a couple weeks ago it's like you know you're a good person I think for me okay if I'm going to watch a kid play and I want to see how he celebrates when one of his teammates does something well that's a, that's a good teammate for me that's just an example of it you know is he is he is excited about, the success of somebody else, I think that's a great teammate. So we're trying to find as many of those guys that are kind of like energy givers, right? they we had a kid named Ian Dawkins who played center field for us. He's in the white Sox organization, super quiet, didn't say much, but he made those guys around him better because of how he went about things. So guys that are energy givers that, that celebrate the success of their teammates. I think those guys are great teammates.
0: Reg, you've you've had you've had first rounders and 19 players get a chance at playing professional baseball that came to you as non-drafted players. So obviously you've helped develop them. What is the key for you in what you've done to help a player develop to to hopefully get them to the big leagues? And what do you, what do you guys do that you think is special with players?
1: Well, I think we've, you know, we've hired really, really good assistant coaches that are really good at developing. I think that's first and foremost. We've been incredibly lucky in terms of the coaches that have come through here over the last 10 years. Then on top of that, I think the strength and conditioning piece has been really, really important for us. We've been blessed to have some really good strength and conditioning coaches. And then really just, if if you have a roster full of like-minded kids that all are chasing the same things, it just creates... Competition it creates a culture where guys want to get better, and I think those are the three things really. Obviously, you know it, it, who who would have known some of the you know some of these guys have gone off. It came in as a as a walk on. You know we had a kid named Andrew Ayers, you know one of my all time favorite players I've ever coached comes in from St Berners High School as a walk on non scholarship go on you know gets drafted it was a, I think in two thousand and 2012 was the whack MVP, you know, and look, during that time we had tremendous assistant coaches that really helped develop these players and our strength and conditioning situation was awesome. And we had kids that love baseball, you know, that you couldn't keep them away from the field. Hello. Did I lose you, Butch?
0: Yeah, no, we're back there. I, I think I lost you. Were you talking or did you stop?
1: No, I stopped. I stopped. I'm sorry.
0: Okay. No, no, you, you have to be sorry. Okay. So, you you said something interesting earlier in the conversation about trying to play multiple sports. Let's, let's say a kid knows, he wants to be a baseball player and you know, you're, you're, you're going to give him a, a whole year of, you know, in quarters, what he should do. What, what are the things that kids, you know, when they get to be 13, 14, 15 years old, what do you think are the important things they should be doing to help them. So hopefully they can be a next level player.
1: So you're taking away, you're saying no, no multiple sports or just kids that are just going to do baseball only.
0: Yeah. I'm just talking about kids that are going to do baseball only where they, you know, they don't really want to play they don't want to play football. They want to do yep. this. You know, what, what would you recommend to them? Oh
1: well, yeah. You know, I think, you know, once you get in that 14 or 15 year old range, I think the introduce strength and conditioning stuff for those kids I've been really fortunate as a parent. Both of my sons have, have worked out with the guys at Hyper Thrive who do, do, you know, do a tremendous job. And my sons have just fallen in love with the strength and conditioning piece of it. I think the earlier you can do that as a, as a baseball player, it's just going to pay off in the end because that's a huge part of it. So I think a year-round strength and conditioning type of program is, is important. And then a balance, right? What's the part of the year that you're going to, that you're going to play. You know, I think there does need to be some sort of break. So if you're going to play in your high school baseball team, then you're going to play in the summer. or you are going to take August off so you can kind of, you know, go be a kid, go on a vacation with your family, going to have some sort of fall ball, whether it's with your high school, then maybe take November and December off. And I think Dr. James Andrews talks about there, there really needs to be three months out of the year, you know, where a kid maybe doesn't pick up a baseball. And not just and we're not just simply talking injury here. We're just talking, you know, recharge, reboot, take a little bit of break because uh, then I think they're really, really hungry to come back to it, right. And, and I think you want that. You, you know, I know of some kids and families that they, they burned out. They were going 12 months out of the year for since they were 10 years old and it just wasn't the same. So I just think there does need to be some balance with it. Yeah, I would say that would be my plan. But obviously, look case by case, everybody's situation is a little bit different. But,
0: Rich, since you, you, I mean, you, you guys have done a really good job in what I feel is like developing some pitching. Obviously, you guys always bang, so you hit. What are the things that are important for you in developing your pitching program? What are what are things that families, you know, might, you know, young families might do to that are you know, looking towards pitching, what can you recommend to those families?
1: Well, again, I think it comes back to, you know, having a solid throwing program, having a strengthening conditioning piece. And then I think now more than ever, skipping steps has become a thing that we've allowed in terms of the pitching development. You know, you have, we have, for the most part, a lot of these kids will come in to our program and they'll, they'll, they have four or five pitches, right? And not any one of them are really exceptional, but they all claim to have four or five of them. A friend of mine I was actually playing golf with not too long ago is a, is a pitching coach in, a, in an organization, and he told me that in their organization above high A, there was only two pitchers that had three quality pitches for high A and up. Which just goes to show how hard it is to really have multiple pitches. So we talk about, going back to that, the skipping steps piece, we talk about, you know, fastball command, You know, are we going to have fastball command? Are we going to have fastball control? We want to have fastball command first and foremost. And then we're going to add to that the secondary pitch. You know, is that going to be a changeup or is that going to be a breaking ball? But we want to have two plus pitches. And then we're going to be willing to move on, you know, to that third pitch. And those are going to be your starting pitches, right? The guys that do have three pitches. But I think sometimes these kids come in, they want to throw four or five pitches and none of them are really very good. And when they go out in the game, they get whacked around. They don't get anybody out. They can't throw strikes. And then we're spinning our wheels, right? The the development piece has has hit a, a roadblock. So those are the things that are important to us, the strength and conditioning, the throwing program part, then obviously putting a plan in place for these guys to be successful. There's nothing wrong with going out there at 14 years old and just having a fastball. We had a kid named Sutter McLaughlin. His dad didn't let him throw a breaking ball until he turned 15. And he was really, really good for us. So, again, it just it's, it's case by case. I don't think there's a perfect blueprint for every kid at that age. Everybody's a little bit different. But throwing programs, strength and conditioning, and really putting together – have your pitching coach, your high school coach put together a blueprint of what it's going to look like and just be, be willing to move up and uh, not, don't skip steps in your, proce- in your process.
0: When you, when you talk about when you're out recruiting – and you're looking at players, when you have people like coaches that are recommending players to you, you know, I mean, all of us see players in diff- through different eyes, and beauty is, I am, is in the eye of the beholder. What are some of the things that are you looking – so for coaches that are on this call, what are the things that – when you guys talk to coaches, what are the, like the things that you really want to know about a player?
1: Well, you know, if I've never seen the kid play before, I you know, I guess from a, from the hitting side, you know, is there a high bat to ball, you know, is there does he make a lot of contact? You know, I think that's really important. I think defensively, you know, what's the arm play like? Is is can he stay on the left side of the field? Does he have a good arm? You know, what's he what's he run like? You know, is he is he, is he going to have to be a corner guy or can he stay in the middle of the field? So I think the the baseball part, those would be the things then obviously you're, you know, we've talked about, you're diving into the grades, you're dive, diving into, the, you know, the kid, you're diving into the family. And then it comes back to, you know, you get to the point where you've had some conversations and then hopefully you can have a face-to-face conversation with, with the player and with his family and really just see if it's a fit. You know, I tell kids all the time, it needs to be a fit on both sides, right? It's got to be a fit for us. And it certainly has to be a fit for you. And, you know, it's, you know, that's really the next step, you know, but yeah, we, this thing doesn't work without having good relationship with high school coaches, travel ball coaches. At the end of the day, we're trying to recruit kids that come from winning programs, right? Like the NCAA gives you so many hours in terms of what you can practice. You're hoping you get some kids that are are advanced a little bit, right? Coming from programs that they do a really good job of teaching the fundamentals and how to play the game. So yeah, I, I think the better program and the uh, more competitive program they come from, it certainly makes our job a lot easier.
0: Reggie, when you go out to a game, what inspires you when you watch a game?
1: What inspires me? I, I, I love to see just kids have fun playing this game together. I, that's why I really enjoy watching like high school playoff games, right? Like there's something on the line. you can just see the emotion that these kids have trying to win for their high school, trying to win for each other, you know, it, there's nothing better than, you know, like the NFL, right. And the playoffs, right. That you want to see kids play with something on the line. And I just remember back, you know, whether I was a player, or my son's playing um, it goes so fast, right. So you just try to, to allow yourself to, to enjoy watching them play. I think sometimes you go watch these games and and uh, you're there to see one kid, right? But oftentimes you you see a, another kid that you didn't even know about while you're there, um, and even other times you you just see kids playing. the 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 reason why kids should play because they love it. You know, there, there's players out there that aren't going to play Division One baseball, but there's going to be some players that can play elsewhere. And look, I'm a Division Three baseball product myself, and if I can help a kid you know, pick up the phone and and make a call for a kid because I really enjoyed watching him play, Um, that inspires me because I think I was one of those kids at that age and somebody somebody was willing to help me out.
0: Okay, I'm going to go off the script a little here, Reg. Yeah. And I just thought of it, you know, thinking that you'd be a great person to explain this to our players because I hear it more and more when I go places and hear coaches say it. Jimmy, you got to slow the game down. When you hear somebody or you use that saying, you're going to slow the game down. Can you tell our families here that are listening what, when they hear that, what that means?
1: Yeah, I think that happens a lot. You know, when you you go from playing JV baseball to playing varsity, right? The competition is better. The game is going fast, right? When you go from high school to a freshman in college, the game is going fast. So every level you play, you know, Reese Hoskins would tell you, you know, when he was in a ball and then went to double a, the game sped up and he made it to the big leagues, the game sped up. So it takes you a while to really understand what slow the game down means. But I think for me, it just means to really, really, help check your self when it comes to your breathing. Right. So if you're a pitcher on the mound and you see, you know, you go out to the mound to talk to a young kid, he's hyperventilating. You just remind him, Hey, it's just baseball, you know, don't get caught up in, in, you know, the level being a little bit different than what you're used to, you know, look, everybody's really, really good player now. So just talk about breathing, talk about, you know, it, taking your time. I mean, how many times have you seen a kid get in the box? that's a, a young, a young kid, and it's like he's in a race to get out right he's he's not taking his time in between pitches he doesn't have a routine so really it's just the breathing and having a routine and not making everything so life or death right you know you see you know guys are afraid to make a mistake because they feel like it's it's a life or death thing just it it just takes time you know, experience going through it and i think we as coaches try our best to make practices that way to help them slow the game down. I think Coach Flores, our infield and hitting coach, does a really, really good job at trying to speed it up in practice to force them to have to slow it down. So then when we do get to game day, we've trained and practiced in a way that has helped them do that. But yeah, that's that's the best way I can describe it. Just It's a feeling, right? It, it's helping them understand when things are going too fast in their head and just being able to – unclutter those thoughts and, and emotions and, and just play it like you did when you're eight years old playing wiffle ball.
0: How, how much time do you spend on makeup type stuff? I mean, you know, there's so many coaches that are mechanic guys and there's so many guys that are game guys that just play and, you know, intersquad it. How, how much time do you feel it's necessary to, to go over the mental stuff in the game?
1: You know, I think the longer I've done this, the less I've been involved in the the daily baseball part. You know, I have really, really good assistant coaches that do a really good job in those areas. I think I try to spend the majority of my time observing, evaluating, um, and then really having one-on-one conversations with these kids about how I think that they can, you know, change something, some, some level of – we talk about belief. You know, it, the biggest thing for me – I stole this from Bill Kernan, who who coached with me a few years ago. I think belief is 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 why good teams are really, really good. They really, really trust themselves. And the individual and the team has just a high level of belief. So we're trying to build that individually with a player. I'm spending more time pulling the kid aside, calling the kid after a practice, texting the kid, just trying to instill some confidence in them. And sometimes I have to kick them in the butt a little bit too, but I think that for me, the mentality, the mental side of the game is far more important in my position as the head coach than taking a guy down to the cages and working on a swing. Because when you get in the game, if you don't have a good sense of, of what that looks like and feels like, and if you haven't created some confidence in yourself, it's a really hard game to play. So that's, that's an area that I, the longer I've done it, I've pulled myself back a little bit more on the coaching piece and really tried to insert myself the best I can to help these guys individually have some success.
0: How how big a part does, when you talk about makeup, how, how big a part does it all play in where a guy came from and what environment he grew up in? Do you feel like you can change a guy's makeup?
1: Oh, that's a great question. No, I, I don't necessarily think that you can change a guy's makeup. I think that the culture or the group of kids that you have in your program can sway the makeup, good or bad. So I think we're always trying to, to do the best we can to to ensure that there's like-minded kids when it comes to, you know, what are their dreams and goals, right? Your job as a coach, you know, I heard this a long time ago, the basketball coach Larry Brown His job was to hold his players accountable for their dreams, goals, and desires, he called them. So if I have 35 kids in that locker room that have an aspiration to be the very best baseball player they can possibly be, and that's not always pro baseball, but be the very best they can possibly be, do really, really well in the classroom, and care so much about winning as a group, then I think really good things can happen. And and, you know, from a standpoint on the recruiting part, you know, I'm really proud of, you know, the areas that we've gone out to recruit. We are trying to find diverse group of kids. Now, I know a lot of times when you say diverse, it, it gets equated to, to race, ethnicity. I'm talking more about, you know, some areas and types of homes kids came from, different backgrounds because I think it's like a melting pot, right? You get these 35 kids together that come from different walks of life, different parts of the country. Shoot, we have six Canadians right now. I think it's really cool how baseball can really, really develop some meaningful relationship that these kids are going to have the rest of their life. And I really enjoy that part. You know, I just got back in January, Um, you know, 2012 to 14 was a really awesome time here for our program that really kind of built where we're at now. And I went to band in Oregon and played golf with 12 former players of mine. And those guys were from different places. And they're in each other's weddings. They're best friends with each other. And I'm not a very good golfer, Butch. But it was a meaningful time for me to spend some time with those guys and to see really uh, how this thing got started. And it really caused me to kind of look at where we're at right now and uh, how can we we continue to make sure that we honor that group and, and make the next step as a program.
0: Let's talk about self-evaluation. Off what you just said, how, how much time? How much time do good coaches, good players, spend on evaluating themselves?
1: Yeah, I do. <laughs> My assistants will will, will tell you, I, I'm doing it every day. You know, we didn't have a very good week of intersquads, and I'm, um, you know, this this is not going to work. How can we get better? Uh, what do we need to do different this week? I'm constantly in that mode. I'm constantly looking ahead. You know, what's next year's group going to look like? How are we going to navigate through this? What if we lose this guy? So, and, and then on top of that, you know, how can I be better? Look, I'm, I'm far from perfect. There, there's some blind spots in, in, in my in my baseball coaching lens sometimes too, right? How can I improve? How can, how can we help each other out as coaches to make sure we're doing a better job? So I think we talk to our players. It's one of the things we talk about all the time is self-awareness. You know, because without self-awareness, there can't be self-evaluation, right? Like, if you're not self-aware, you're not going to be able to self-evaluate. And and we talk to our players about it, and, and my assistant coaches about that all the time. We've constantly got to try to continue to find a way to get better. Like, we cannot – you know, I think there's been some stretches here. Everybody talks about the winning. You know, like, it is hard to, to- – Continue that, right? I mean, everybody talks about how easy it must be getting. It's easier to get. It's not. It. It honestly, in my mind, it becomes harder because that expectation's out there that you're supposed to win. So we're we're constantly in that mode, trying not to let somebody catch us. If somebody has passed us, uh, how how do we get back to that? You know. So yeah, we're self awareness. I'm glad you brought that up. You know, at the end of every year, I tell I tell recruits this. I tell um, families this. At the end of every year. I evaluate myself primarily one way Would I allow my two sons to play in our program and shoot, but there's, 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 there's times, maybe not seasons necessarily. There's times where I have to reflect back and say, you know what? Like, I don't know, man, we, we've got to do a better job in this area. We we've got to do a better job in that area. Am I doing as good a job as a leader as I possibly can to make sure that, that, that I'm not missing something. So yeah, for me, the self-awareness piece is something that I, you know, I wake up in the morning. How can we be better? And I go to bed at night. You know, good, bad, or indifferent. Let's do it. Let's do it better tomorrow.
0: Hey, coach. We talk about emotion. You know, and coaches, we're big tough guys usually, and we don't usually sh- want to show our emotion to our players. What What do you think is good emotion and what's bad emotion when it relates to your team?
1: I I, I genuinely just want our guys to be who they are. You know, and, and that's going to come out in different ways. I, I think that when guys are, it's kind of like an act, right? When they're going to like blow up when something bad happens or act out in a way when something, I just want them to be genuine in who they are. You know, we had a kid named Nathan Lucas who's uh, signed with the Blue Jays, will be in big league spring training. Every single time he got out, he came back to the dugout and he kind of slammed his bat into the bat rack. It lasted about three seconds, and he moved on. Then he went out and played great defense. That's just how he acted. It wasn't like he didn't do it, you know, when things were – It just what he did, right? And and I think that if you can allow these guys to to act in a way that's real uh, and not kind of draw extra attention to themselves, you let it happen. I, I don't want to be a manager of emotion. I don't want to, you know, regulate, you know, what what's – can and can happen. I've had a harder time with some of the antics that go on during the game. Call me old school, but, you know, I just think that there's a certain way to play the game between the lines, but you want these guys to have emotion. They, it is a game. You are playing a game and you want them to have fun doing so.
0: It's a great answer. Let, let me ask you about, I just had somebody uh, DM me and ask, want to know what goes into your exit meeting. So like, you know, people here, you know, hey, I'm having an exit meeting. So like in a, a Sac State exit meeting, when you're having your meeting with a guy, what is it, the things that you talk about with them?
1: Well, I think it's different every year. I mean, I'll give you an example of what happened this year in our exit meeting. So we we decided we had a large roster, right? We, we decided this year in the fall for guys to have almost like a report card, right? This is what the coaches think. This is what the head coach think. This is kind of what the, what your teammates think in terms of like what, what the, the depth chart looks like. I wanted them to have a crystal clear picture of what it looked like at the end of the fall. Now, you got some guys that, that liked that. You had some guys that didn't like that. We had meetings with guys in terms of, hey, this is where you're at. This is what I think is best for you. This is what I think is best for your career. And at the end of the day, I, I've got to get to a place in my heart and my mind, right, that I know that I'm going to make every decision that I think is best for that player. Now, they, they don't necessarily see that right then and there, but hopefully in 10 years down the road, they can come back and say, you know, I'm glad, I'm glad you talked to me and to, to, to go on the junior college route. I think that was what was best for me. So, again, every year is a little bit different when it comes to that. But at the end of the day, we're trying to do everything we can to make it about what's in that player's best interest. And, you know, sometimes the truth does hurt from our perspective. But I, but, you know, my assistant coaches, you know, we have these conversations, you know, behind closed doors as to what that looks like. And it's easier for me, I think, than for some of these other um, guys that have coached with me. I played junior college baseball, had a great experience. I played at two different junior colleges. Then I had a great experience playing Division three baseball. I think sometimes, whether it's the player or the family, gets so caught up in the Division one thing. Or the only way I can play pro ball is if I'm at a Division I school. I think you would have a much better experience if you go to a level in which you could play every day than sit for three or four years in our program and not play at all. That's just me personally. And some of the kids that we've had that have chosen to to go that route, they want to play. And I think they're making good choices for that. So that's kind of what, you know, then my assistant coaches also have some, you know, exit meetings with guys and just, you know, I think that they do a really good job of being honest with where they're at, what they need to do to improve and, and. Look, we're here for them. We're on their side. It's not an exit meeting in terms of we're against you. You know, last year, you know, we've like most years, you, you make some decisions, and and you know, you have people that are happy and people that are unhappy. And but you know, I can sleep good feeling like we did what was right for those players.
0: Coach, you are down to the last minute. I want to ask you one more question. It's not even a question, really. Could you please, if there's not one thing that we haven't talked about tonight? where you can give advice for kids that are you know starting in high school that have that next level dream if you could tell their families the parents the kids something that you've watched over the years that would that could be of great information to them to help them through this experience can you can you please finish with this tonight
1: yeah that's a good question you know, I would say, yeah. You know, that we get emails all the time, right? Like we get emails all the time from from players or from families about, hey, you know, we're excited, interested in your program. You know, most of the time, the it, it's statistical. If you're going to send me an email, that we actually have a player in our program right now who walked on, and he, and he, he emailed me about once a week. Every time he emailed me, you know, he kind of gave me, he's a, he's and he's he's a pitcher. He gave me, hey, I went went six innings, I gave up three hits, I walked none, I struck out four, I threw 87 pitches, I threw 67 strikes, and I was drawn to this kid because he wasn't sending me the, hey, I touched 92, you know, all that stuff. He was giving me, my team won. And I and I thought that he was doing it in a way that captured what I what I value, right? So I think if you're a player and you're reaching out to a program, do your research, right? Do your research. This this kid knew that we valued throwing strikes. He had done his homework on our pitching side and how many you know, what we've been able to do here the last, you know, really ten years on the pitching side. And so he attacked it in a way that drew our attention and, and he, he he's in our program has a chance to be a really, really good player. So that's one example. I would say this too. When, when I call a kid and I ask him, how'd your game go? I want to, did, did your team win? Like, did your team win? I want to know, did because at the end of the day, it is about helping your team win. It's going to become about helping our team win. I don't, you know, three for four, two doubles, Homer, but we lost nine to seven. Like, I want to hear the outcome of the game first. I want I want to know that you actually genuinely care about your team winning the game. So those are the just two pieces that obviously that, that pop into my mind when you ask that question, you know, I know that, right. You're as a recruit, you're, there's a lot of self-promotion going on, right. Which is look, you're trying to gain a spot on somebody's team, but I think you still have to do it in a manner that shows some humility, that shows some, caring about winning that that's just me, right. That I'm kind of pushed away at at the kid or the family that just kind of makes it all about them. You know, like he's going to walk into this room with 35 guys and it's going to be about what he can do to help the team. And that's just something that that I'm really drawn to when a kid sends me an email or I get a phone call from a player, parent, or, or coach. I just think we're, we're here to, meant to like serve other people right I, I want I want to feel that in the recruiting process I want to I want to know that
0: that's special to that person that's awesome That was an awesome answer really appreciate your time tonight the information that you shared with our families and the people that listen to you know our our talk so valuable you're a home run hitter great coach great person and Really appreciate you coming on tonight. Thank you.
1: Butcher, I appreciate you having me. Appreciate you having me. Have a a good week, Butcher.
0: I, I hope you do too, Coach.